Oh, it breaks my heart. I'm only going to hear that four more times after tonight. I can visit. That's true. I can, maybe I could turn on the YouTube. Maybe it'll continue. You never know. Well, let's stand up. Sorry, I shouldn't have had you sit down in the first place. Jesus is a friend, is a friend next to ya. Jesus is a friend, so sing along. Jesus is a friend, is a friend next to ya. Jesus is a friend, so sing. Sing up. Ha la la Now, shake somebody's hand, shake a hand next to you, shake somebody's hand, sing along, shake somebody's hand, shake a hand next to you, shake somebody's hand and sing, sing a la 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 Give a high five, give a five next to you. Give a high five and sing along. Give a high five, give a high next to you. Give a high five and sing. Sing a la 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 sports. Have a seat. <clears throat> we're in 1 Peter chapter 2 tonight. If you'll turn over there, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to study verses 4 through 12. All of their lives, our kids grew up in a family of six. There was Lenora, myself, mom and dad, Rianne, Reagan, Seth, and Duke. Lenora laughed, and she might cry before this is over, because Lenora loved Duke more than she loved me. <laughs> true. She said, true. Duke was like a 115-pound chocolate lab that we had for 13 years, and he was man's best friend. Well, Lenora's best friend, mostly. But one of the things about Duke that was so funny is he had an identity crisis. He did not know what he was. He thought he was a three-pound chihuahua. Because I'd come home from work sometimes or an elders meeting or wherever I may have been, and I'd walk in, and there's Lenora watching television with Duke on her lap, and you can't even see any Lenora. I mean, all you see is the Duke. And she's like, oh, God, your home, can you help me? And he'd just have his head laid on her. He just thought he was a lap dog. 
at 115 pounds. The dog looked like a barrel with legs. But he didn't know what he was. And then when I was coaching Seth's football team when he was little, it was either his fifth or sixth grade year, we had a secret weapon that was absolutely unmatchable in the league. And I thought we were going to win every game. We won none of those games. <laughs> but we had our secret weapon was named Sam Terry. Sam was in the sixth grade, I think it was, 182 pounds. And he wasn't just like obese. He was just gigantic. He was 182 pounds a man in a little boy's body. He was a big guy. And I mean, there wasn't any two boys on the team that matched him. Not two of them. And so the first day of tryouts, here comes Sam Terry walking in. I'm like, we're going to have to order a special uniform for this boy. And we did. We had to get him a special helmet. His helmet didn't match anybody else on the team. We had to borrow it from the high school because we couldn't get a youth helmet in his size. He was gigantic. And I thought, this is going to be easy because in little guy football, I mean, the fastest kid wins. I mean, you know, you get them to run to the outside and they're all the way to the end zone and they score almost every play. Well, we didn't have the fastest kid, not even close, but we had the biggest one. So I told Sam, I'm going to put you at center. You're going to hike the ball, and you're just going to march forward, and the quarterback's going to march right behind you. And we're guaranteed five yards of play. Guaranteed. We cannot be stopped. Well, that prediction was not true at all. With our zero and eight record at the end of the season, it proved it. Because Sam Terry didn't know what he was. He was the most timid, meek, tender-hearted, gentle giant that I've ever met, to my great frustration. <laughs> I remember one time I would go out and we were practicing, and Sam would hike the ball, and then he just kind of just push. I said, knock him down, Sam! Run him over! Well, that wouldn't be nice, coach. <laughs> and then I said... Sam, and I remember one time in particular, I made the poor boy cry. It, made, it was so sad. I look back with great regret because I went out on the field and I was so upset at him and I did the whole coach grabbing him by the face mask thing. And I grabbed him by the face mask and said, Sam Terry, you're the biggest boy out here by two, by two times two. I said, why aren't you knocking people over? And he cried. And he said, I got a tender heart, coach. <laughs> I didn't know what to say to that. We're a Christian school team, you know. What do I say to that? So I said, well, you, it's good that you have a tender heart, Sam. But when you play football, leave it in the parking lot and pick it up again on your way home. <sighs> Sam didn't know what he was. He could have been the champion of that football league if he would have known what he was. And if he would have played like what he was. And really, that's kind of what this text in 1 Peter chapter 2 is all about tonight. It's about identity. You know, we've talked a lot about Peter's message to people who are sojourners, who are pilgrims in a foreign land. People that are going to be persecuted because, in essence, God's people, we're living the devil's world, but we're citizens of a different country. And we live behind enemy lines. We're surrounded 
by the enemy every day. And you see, it's pretty important when you live in that state to know who you are and to know what power you have in you. And so this text is going to address in plain language precisely who it is that we are that we often forget and desperately, desperately need to remember if we're going to survive. But even more than that, if we're going to be victorious. Because if we forget our power, if we forget our identity, then what hope do we have when we're completely and utterly surrounded by the enemy? Well, he's going to start off in verse 4 and says, Coming to him, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders reject has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. The first thing he tells us about our identity, he says, this is who you are. You are a rock. You're a stone that's been built upon the rock. You remember the text that was read for us from Matthew 16 tonight by Don. As Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give a lot of answers. Some say Elijah or one of the prophets, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father, which art in heaven. And I'll tell you that upon this, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, not Peter. Now that word means rock. This is a play on words. But the rock is that confession, is that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. On this rock, I will build my church. That is you. That's me. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He says, my church will take the fight to the enemy all the way to the gates of hell. My church will be on the offense, not because they have greater numbers. No, because they're stronger than the world around them. They are a rock. What does that mean? When you use that metaphor, when you say this person or that person, they're a stone, they're a rock. Steadfast, it means strong. Unable to be broken. Do you remember that great cinematic masterpiece from 1984 called Rocky IV? You remember that? Where, you know, it's, to me, it's the best Rocky movie because he fought the Russians and it was just this awesome thing, you know? And Apollo Creed is killed by Ivan Drago. I mean, everybody's seen this. You're Americans. You've seen this. 
And then, you know, Rocky has to fly over, and the music in that one is just, you know, in the burning heart. And they play a little bit of Eye of the Tiger, and dun 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 It just gives you goosebumps thinking about it, doesn't it? But one of the best parts of the film, when Rocky is fighting Ivan Drago, this seemingly impossible enemy, greater and stronger, and he was. He was faster than Rocky. He was stronger than Rocky. He was tougher than Rocky, but he wasn't. Harder than Rocky. And what I mean by that is, you remember, he went back when Rocky finally got a good shot in and hit him for the first time. He went back in the corner and he says, he's not a man. He's a rock. He's a piece of iron. That's precisely what Peter is saying about you. This is who you are. You're not just a man. You're not just a woman. You were born of the rock, and you have become living stones that cannot be broken. We look on, and it tells us in the text. It says it's been grown up within us, verse 5, also as living stones being built up to a spiritual house, holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus' identity provides us with a solid rock foundation upon which we can build our faith and build our lives. And when we look over in Matthew chapter 7, you'll remember the text there. In Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus speaks in verse 24 and following, he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat the house and it fell. And great was its fall. See, Jesus says, I am the rock. And those who listen to my words and build their lives and their faith upon my words, they shall be like a house on the rock. And he says, the winds come and they go. The storms come, the rain comes, and it goes. But if they are built on the rock, they become a rock. And rocks laugh at the weather. Don't they? A rock isn't phased. A mountainside isn't phased by the storm. I mean, we're afraid of hurricanes, and we're afraid of tsunamis, and we're afraid of tornadoes, but not a mountain. The rock laughs in the face of the storm. And folks, it's imperative that we understand our identity, because we live in a world of storms. And I see believers, now I'm not in any way dismissing the pain of suffering, I've had suffering and it hurts. And so it's, it's all right to hurt. Jesus wept with Mary and Martha and weeps with all of us when we hurt. But what isn't all right is to break. Stones don't break with a little bit of rain. Stones don't break with a little bit of wind. Stones laugh in the face of the weather. And I believe that Christians, we... We're in a world of people that break. Oh, the world's got more people than the church does. 
The enemy has hordes, his hordes, but he's got soft hordes. He's got a world that crumbles at every adversity. Jesus says, through Peter, you have been made to be living stones. You don't break. The world's going to bring you wind and rain. It may be death, it may be sickness, it may be persecution. There's all sorts of wind and rain. But a stone says into the face of the storm, bring on the rain. I won't bend. I won't break. No matter what. You know, I like spy movies. And clearly I like boxing movies as well. But in spy movies, the worst part is when some hero or some, you know, undercover agent gets captured and brought to the torture chamber, you know. And they always say something like this. Everybody breaks. Eventually. Yeah. The great torturers of the world have said that, and then those of the greatest empire that's ever graced this earth, they met a group of people who never drew a sword, who never started a physical rebellion, but they couldn't break them. To the point that Fox's Book of Martyrs reveals to us that our brethren, our fellow living stones built upon the rock they were tied up and, and oil was poured all over them and the wood and they held the, the burning torch before them and said, deny your Lord. And they said, I won't bend. I don't break. I'm a stone. Polycarp, the disciple of John. As an old man, he was taken and put to the flames and the the guards, the Roman guards who saw this, they thought it was the saddest thing ever. And they, one of them actually asked him, he said, listen, just say Caesar is Lord and then go believe what you want. We don't care. And he said, all these 80 years of my life, the Lord has never let me down. Translation, he's been my rock. Far be it from me when I'm asked to sacrifice for him. Jesus is Lord. Bring on the rain. See, the only people who can do that are people who are stones, living stones. And folks, it's imperative. We will not survive in this world if we don't know who we are. Living stones. Then verses 9 through 10, he continues on and Peter says, but you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Peter tells them, not only are you living stones, solid as a rock, you are royal 
priests. You see, how does this feel to be chosen? Did anybody ever play dodgeball when you were a kid? It's traumatic for a few of us because of this whole being chosen thing, you know. But I remember a few times I wasn't Mr. Athlete, so I lived vicariously through my children. But I, I wasn't Mr. Athlete. But I can remember several times when I was younger, you know, kind of expecting to be one of the last chosen when they're kind of, you know, picking from the dregs, I guess I'll take them. And the worst of the worst is to be the last one, you know, because then somebody gets you because they're stuck with you, right? That's the worst. But I remember there were a few times that maybe I'd been spending time with one of the team captains that were choosing, and I got picked. I don't think I was ever picked first, but maybe like in the top round, you know, in the top three or four. And I just can't even express it. You know what I'm talking about. It feels pretty good, doesn't it? You ever gotten an award? Teacher of the year, employee of the year, and you were picked. You were picked. Miss Lenora was chosen that one time at Arkansas State by her students. And she came home and she, very humble, so she didn't act like it was a big deal. But she strutted a little bit more, you know, when she walked in. <laughs> employee of the year. She didn't say, I'm employee of the year. But she felt like it, you know, because you can't help it, can you, when you're chosen. This says you have been chosen. He picked you. You're a royal priesthood. You have an identity that is special, an identity that is powerful, and a great responsibility. You see, we are his priests to this world, and that means, folks, that he trusts us, and he gave us an important task. You know, it's one thing to be chosen. You're playing pickup basketball that's to one thing to be chosen, it's another thing to be chosen and to be handed the ball and say, you run point. Right? Those of you who don't know anything about basketball, you need to study a little bit, okay? You need to learn about important things. You run point. You be our point guard. That's pretty crucial. That's important. Or you're playing backyard football. Hey, you be the quarterback. Why? Because it goes beyond just being chosen. It means being entrusted with an important, vital responsibility. He says, you weren't just chosen. You were chosen to be a royal priesthood. And the priests represent the people to God. That's why we're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. The salt brings flavor. It makes it palatable. This world's only hope is you. Now, they don't realize it, but their only hope of course, is Jesus, but their only hope to know him is through you. You're important. We're important. And it's important that we vitally, vitally know it and never forget our role. And then verse 11 through 12 of the text. He says, not only are you stones, not only are you a chosen priesthood, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and as pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. He says, you are sojourners, you are pilgrims. He says, but having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. He said, when you know who you are, you'll want to act like it. 
You'll want to act like it. You know, our family is that had never had any money. My grandpa, who you hear me talk about him a lot, he was special to me. I spent summers with him and he'd take me fishing all the time. And we had the and he was my grandpa just I don't know if he was wise or I just thought he was wise, but everything he said just seemed to be infused with wisdom. And he had an eighth grade education. And when he died, and he had nothing of value in this world. His house sold for less than $20,000. I mean, he had a few hundred dollars in his bank account. He never had anything. But he never owed anybody either. Because he had a mindset that said, you need to live your life with dignity and honor. You need to pay your bills. You need to be a man of your word. And when he died there in Metropolis, Illinois... We went back for his funeral, and I got to speak a little along with my dad. And the line for his visitation was two blocks long. Because all of his life, when people would come in, they knew Jimmy Williams would treat him honestly and fairly. And he had a whole box of pocket watches and knives and things that he traded for alternators and generators and you know transmissions and whatever people needed because Jimmy had a policy Nobody left without what they needed from his place. Because he believed in having integrity. And I remember us sitting on the bank trying to catch a catfish, which we always caught fewer fish than I thought we should have. But, and he, you know, you get a lot of time when you're just waiting for your line to start moving. And him saying, don't ever forget that the most important thing you'll ever have, son, is your name. And you can mess it up in five minutes. And once you have, it's really, really hard to ever get it back. He said, it doesn't matter if you've got money or if you've got power. None of those things are as important as your name. And what he meant by that is your character. He said, don't mess up your name. And his point was, he says, you're too good for that. Know who you are and act like it. Act like it. That's Peter's point. You're sojourners. You're pilgrims. But you are a rock. Built on the rock. Living stones that cannot ever be broken. If you just remember who you are. You're a people. You've been chosen for a Grand responsibility. Know who you are. And then act like who you're supposed to be. You see, as we face a world that we're surrounded by, a world that is going to be opposed to us, it's going to, Jesus said, don't be surprised if the world hates you because it hated me before it hated you. And it isn't. People don't really hate us, you understand? They're just pawns of the father of life. But he hates you. He hates the Lord. And we are surrounded. But be not dismayed. We're surrounded by a world that will easily be broken, but you are a stone. We're surrounded by a world of people who are slaves 
to the devil's chains, but you are chosen sons and daughters. You are royal priests. You're better than that. Act like it. Tonight, if there's any need in your life, you need to respond and just say, Lord, I want to start acting like what I'm supposed to be. Lord, I want to remember who I am. Don't put it off. Come tonight, right now, as we stand in it, we sing.